Hey, welcome to Life Point, everybody. My name is Mike. I get to serve here as lead pastor. We're going to jump right in the Word in just a moment. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, like Pastor Elmer said, if this is your first time here, we're so thankful for you. And to everybody joining us online, first time or on demand or for the, uh, for the, the next time, and we just want to say welcome to our online campus. We also have folks joining us in Chandler, Arizona. Come on, everybody. Say what's up to the East Valley Dream Center location. We've got friends watching in Portland, Oregon today. We're so thankful for you, as well as uh, we always are now having one of our services at our Rossview campus. This, our physical location here is on video, and that's introducing video back into our church. So please know that one of our four services at Rossview campus is always video. So welcome to our video service today. Come on, let's say what up to those guys. That's going to be today a little later. If you don't like a video service at Rossview, 7.30 a.m. is always live. I'm just saying, I'm here, so come on. Um, hey, also, today we are relaunching our Austin P University campus. I'm so proud of our team there, doing a great job. Pastor Jordan is getting ready. He's preaching live today, and we're going to be back and forth with live preaching, video preaching. He'll be preaching here some, and we're, gonna have, we're actually trying to develop more and more of our communicating pastors here, and so you're going to get to hear from more of our staff as we continue to grow and expand it to other locations. So we've got friends kind of watching all over the place, Arizona, up in Oregon, at Austin P in Smyrna, Tennessee. We love being one church in many places. Hey, I want to encourage all of you to join a small group if you haven't done that already. This whole series is designed to give you tools to have conversations about the series. So in this parable series, you can get on our website anytime, lifepointchurch.tv, click the button for the small group discussion on this series and have a conversation, whether it's around your dinner table or around your, your uh, break table at lunch, whatever. We want to have conversations about this, these messages. Has the parable series been a blessing to anybody so far? Come on. Has it been good for you? Challenging? I'm the preacher and I hear it a lot four times a Sunday and I'm feeling like checked over and over again by the Lord. And today is one of those sermons that, man, it's, it's so central to our theology, but I feel like it's something we've forgotten or we don't think about anymore. But I'm going to preach my guts out here in just a moment. Thank you for being a generous church. We are continuing to be givers today. In fact, your giving is helping plant like 30 churches today, by the way, are launching all around the country through the ARC and CMN, and your giving every month helps make that happen. So I just want to say thank you. Your, your giving is always going beyond this church. We're a church that believes in tithing. We give 10% to the Lord. We bring that as an offering of thank you to the Lord. This is not about a church getting your money. It's about you being obedient to God's word. We didn't come up with that, right? That's God's plan. But through that, we tithe and we give to church planters and missionaries. By the way, we're still engaged with relief work in Waverly, and we'd love for any of you to help us and serve there. We had about 25 of our high school and middle school st students out there yesterday serving and cleaning and serving families, and there's still a number of homes that are decimated and have not had help getting their lives put back together. So we're still engaged there, and your generosity helps make that happen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. We're going to get right into the message today. We're in a series, again, called Parables, and Jesus taught these stories, uh, we call them parables, as illustrations to point us to life in his kingdom and what it looks like to belong to him. I actually wrote a book about the parables of Jesus called Parable Church, how the church of Jesus Christ should feel like the teachings of Jesus. That seems like a pretty duh idea, right, everybody? So we're in the fifth parable today. And I want to encourage you to get on our website and catch any of the last messages if you've missed them. Today, we're looking at a parable in your Bible titled The Parable of the Ten Virgins. Now, this is not a sex talk. This is not a wait till you're married talk, even though we can do that if you want uh, and you should. But uh, this is about really a better title of this would be The Parable of the Ten Bridesmaids. Anybody have a bunch of bridesmaids in your wedding? I'm always like dumbfounded at how much bigger weddings get. And I want to encourage every dad out there that has daughters going to get married one day. Uh, bribe your daughter into smaller weddings. You know what I'm saying, everybody? 
Um, I've seen as many as 12 bridesmaids and groomsmen on either side, and I just see a dad pulling his hair out of his head. So my father-in-law offered, he said, I'll give you cash to elope and you can keep the change. 20 years later, I wish we would have done that. Just saying. I don't even remember half the people in our wedding. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. All right, anyway, back to parable of the 10 virgins. Um, this is one of those parables that the whole church, all the body of Christ needs to hear. This is actually for the church. This is not a parable for the outsider or the unbeliever. This is for Christians. And I'm telling you, this one is great. And the best way I know how to set up this parable, Matthew 25, is to read Jesus' setup in Matthew 24. So we're going to actually just hear all of Matthew 24. There's some of it that I have questions about that I don't have answers to yet. We're going to walk slowly through Matthew 24 and hear Jesus give the best setup ever for the parable of the 10 virgins. Let me pray over it. Lord, would you open our hearts to receive your word today as it was preached by Jesus, put in our Bibles. We want to hear it. Let the breath of the Holy Spirit be on this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 24, Jesus has left the temple and he was leaving with his disciples and they came to him to point out to him some of the buildings of the temple. These are the disciples going, Jesus, check out these buildings. Aren't these awesome? This is where we worship. And he answered them, you see all these buildings, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In other words, this whole temple system is going to be torn to the ground. I don't know about you, but like if somebody, like if you, have you ever brought a guest to your church? You know what I'm saying? Like family's in from out of town and you're really proud to bring them to church and you're like, you got to hear our pastor. You got to hear the worship. You got to see our place. And could you imagine them just in the lobby or in the parking lot going, yeah, this is all going to burn to the ground one day. <laughs> That's kind of what Jesus is doing, right? And I don't know, I'd be, wouldn't you be mad? Please. That pastor's going to die one day. That band's going to, you know, their guitar's out of tune. You know, just crumble the whole thing down. What he's trying to do is tell them, don't put your dependence in these earthen buildings, right? And then he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? When all the temples are crushed down and the end of everything, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus said, see that no one leads you astray. I love that he starts by saying, I'll tell you what to look for. But on the front end, he goes, don't let anybody ever lie to you about this. Listen to me, not anybody else. Don't let anybody lead you astray here. Watch this. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. And by the way, to say I'm the Christ is to say I'm the way to God, which since Jesus has resurrected, how many people have come saying I'm the way to God? These are the beginning phases of new religions, including world religions that are still very prominent. Jesus said, don't let anyone lead you astray. Many will come saying I'm the Christ and they will lead many astray and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. I just love that he inserts these little comments. Don't get afraid of this. Because, hey, by the way, for the Christian, you have nothing to fear, right? He says, see that you're not alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation. Hello, the kingdom against kingdoms. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places around the world. And there will, these will all be the beginnings of the birth pains. Then they, talking about the prevailing culture, the world, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Anybody felt like it is not a popular day to be a follower of Jesus? And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many, the love for God of many will grow cold because lawlessness will increase. Come on, man. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let me just pause and say what an incredible bookend of the gospel of Matthew. Jesus begins his ministry in Matthew chapter 4 before he goes and preaches the Sermon on the Mount. It says that he went around the entire region of the Galilee, around Jerusalem, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now in Matthew 24, he says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all regions and all nations and all places, and then the end will come. So I'm preaching here for the beginning, and it'll be preached everywhere, and then come the end. Isn't that good news, everybody? Then he goes on. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, which you got to really know your Bible to know what he's talking about here. In Daniel's Uh, In in the book of Daniel, we see that a pagan king sacrificed a pig on an altar at the temple. That is desolating the temple of Almighty God because pigs are unclean. And to sacrifice a pig on the altar was abomination and desolation. When you see this kind of thing spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go back down to take what's in the house. In other words, don't say, God, I know you're here, but I got to go get my stuff. Let me go get my wallet, my keys, and my phone. He said, let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. In other words, you don't say, Lord, let me, go, let me go put all my stuff away before you take me into heaven, right? And alas, this is odd. You ever have passages in the Bible that you just go, I don't know what that means? No, you just either don't read it or you're that smart. What's the problem here? You ever have passages you go, I don't know what that is. Well, this is one of them. And so put a little question mark by it and I will too. Um, then for the women who are pregnant... This is at the return of Jesus. For the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter. Okay. (laughs) Or on a Sabbath. (laughs) Like you're nursing your baby, but it's cold. Hang on, Jesus. Can it warm up? I don't get that text. I just have questions. Dr. Burnett here has some questions too. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. Listen to me. And never will be again. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, which is a word for the saved, the Christian, not the selected. That's bad theology. Not for the sake of the selected, but for the sake of the elect, the saved, the Christian. Watch this. Those days will be cut short. In other words, for the Christian, it's not going to be as bad as for the non-believer. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. This is Jesus. Don't believe it. Don't be led astray. Don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and even perform great signs and wonders to lead people astray, if possible, even to lead astray Christians, the elect. See, I have told you this beforehand. So if they say, look, here he is in the wilderness, don't go out there. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. Or if they say, look, he's doing a preaching crusade out in Dallas, let's go hear him. Watch, hey, listen, the son of man ain't coming back in a a bunch of Suburbans with a security detail. Look at this. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the son of man. He ain't coming to do a world tour. He's coming once to the center of the sky and he's collecting everybody from up there. Don't be looking for him down in Florida on TBN, on Daystar Radio. Don't be looking for the coming of the son of man or some false priest or Christ or prophet to come preaching crusades and gathering up the saints. He's going to come like that, like lightning from the east is to the west. Come on, somebody. Wherever the corpse is, question mark, there the vultures will gather. Jesus, can you just stay on track, man? Like, 
And then he says, immediately after the tribulation, I don't know why I keep snapping when I say these things, immediately after the tribulation of those days, look at this, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So let me tell you something, as long as the sun still shines, you haven't missed it yet. You ever get somewhere and the people you're looking to meet weren't there and you're like, did I miss the rapture? (laughs) The sun's still shining, you hadn't missed it yet. Look at this. The sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will all see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect, the Christians. Look at this. They will gather us from the four winds From one end of heaven to the other. Come on, in this great news, everybody. I don't know when's the last time you thought about Jesus coming back, but I just want to stop and tell you, everyone, the Lord is coming for us one day. He's coming for us. Listen, there's an end to the world we're living in. You got to understand the pain of politics and racial tension and the the pain of pandemics and all the stuff we're living with right now, the pressure and the tribulation, the earthquakes, the wars, the rumors, all that kind of stuff. There's an end to this world one day. And it's not bad news unless you're not a follower of Jesus. It's actually good news. It's like the Lord goes, I got a rescue plan. I'm going to make a way out of this thing for you. He goes on to say, take a lesson from the fig tree, not from last week's parable, different fig tree story. As soon as its branches become tender and put out leaves, you know it's summertime. How many of you know every spring when the leaves start to bloom, right? The leaves start growing out of your trees. You're like, oh, yeah, springtime and summer's coming. He said in the same way, when you start to see these things happen, you know that Christ is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He's not saying that immediate generation. A lot of scholars have debated on this verse, but I believe he's saying the generation of the church will not pass away. There's not going to be some killing off of the church. All the Christians are going to be killed off and martyred, and then Jesus comes back to no one. No, no, no. This generation is not going to pass away as the body of Christ because we're going to be a part of who he comes to get. Can I hear an amen? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now watch this. Jesus says, verse 36. I haven't even preached my own sermon points. This is just Jesus. It's like he's the best preacher ever. He's just saying what he wants to say here. But concerning the day and the hour, notice how they start. On the Mount of Olives, verse 3, the disciples said, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? When are you coming back? And how do we, so he starts with answering the sign question and then he starts answering the when question. Now concerning the day and the hour, nobody knows. And I love this. It's almost like corrective parenting. Nobody knows. Not even the angels of heaven know. Not even I know. Not even the son of God knows. Only the Father. I love this. Can I just warn, can I just remind everybody? Never believe anybody who says they figured out when Jesus is coming back. Never. Never believe that because if they're right, Jesus is a liar. And Jesus himself doesn't know. I love that Jesus said, I'm submitted to the Father on this. We have a, we're the Trinity. We're Father, Son, and Spirit. We do all things together, but I've submitted to the Father on this. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. When he says go, I'll go. And there have been, man, Google it. Thousands of people trying to figure out when Jesus is coming. There was a book written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Guess what? No. I mean, we've been trying to determine the the coming of the Lord, and he said right here, nobody knows, I don't even know. And if I don't know, he don't know. 
Prophet Billy Bob Bubba Bubba does not know, I promise you. (laughs) Only the father. But here's a sign, look at this. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He's given signs of what it's going to be like on the bad side, right? Wars, rumors of wars, all these things. But look at this. In the days of Noah, before the flood came, they were eating and drinking, having weddings and giving in marriage. Until the day of Noah, they were building nest eggs, buying property. They were having weddings. I mean, they were just going to football games, watching Austin P. win. Come on, somebody. They were just doing life. That's what he's saying. You're, you're going to be seeing signs of pain, but also signs of pleasure. I mean, Jesus could come when you're at a wedding. He'd be like, I haven't even got my gift. I didn't get to dance with the bride yet. Come on, JC, pause. He can come, and it'll be just a normal time. That's what he's saying. As in the days of Noah, they were eating, drinking, giving a marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. You ever notice Noah was the original doomsday prepper? And you ever thought doomsday preppers are kind of crazy until doomsday? <laughs> All of you need a friend or two like that. I don't, wanna know, I don't know if any of you are preppers, but if you are, could I get your number and your address of your bunker <laughs> just in case? Somebody's got to keep preaching, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. In other words, he's saying it's not for everybody. It's for some. It's for half maybe or, or whatever. He's not trying to give exact numbers. He's just saying not everybody's coming. Therefore, here it is, stay awake. He was the first one to preach the woke message, but he didn't pervert it into craziness. He just says, stay awake, for you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and wouldn't have let the house be broken into. So he's saying, look, if you knew somebody was coming to break into your house at 2.14 a.m., would you not wake up at 2 and be ready, Right? If you knew somebody was going to break into your, your office at 3.47 in the morning, wouldn't you be there at about 3.15 to, to, to prepare for their coming? He said, nobody knows when I'm coming, so just stay awake. A lot of us are going, just, you know, make sure I'm woke when it, when it happens, Lord. No, he says, stay awake. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how to stay awake. If the master of the house knew a thief was coming, he'd stay awake and not put not his house getting broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you don't expect. We never know when the Lord's coming back. We need to stay in a posture of readiness, stay in a posture of being awake for the Lord. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over the household to give him food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom the master comes and finds doing when he comes. How many of you want to be found busy for the Lord when he comes? But I challenge that many of us are not. Truly, I say to you, he'll set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says, well, my master's delayed. He's, I mean, we've been waiting 2,000 years already. I'm sure I got some more time. My master's delayed. And he begins to beat his fellow servants, eat and drink what he wants. And the master, he lived like a drunkard. The master of the servant will come on a day he doesn't expect. And he'll show up when he wants. And the hour he doesn't know. And he'll cut that servant to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is literally painting a picture of those that aren't ready will be placed in hell. I just want to tell you, there's an end to this world. And I don't know when along the Christian journey, we've stopped talking about this. There's so much to process. Let me just say in this text, 
I don't know about you, but, but it's a sobering read as a follower of Jesus to hear the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 24. We need to understand that this is the truest reality. This is for real, for real. It's in your Bible. It's been in your Bible as long as you've had one. And how many of you believe the Bible's true? When I tell you this, Jesus came He died for our sin. He raised from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's praying for us right now, desiring all people to come to faith. But here's the part that we don't talk about a lot. He is coming back for us one day. Man, I think we've kind of shifted to a a theology that says you just live a good life until you die. And when you die, you'll go to heaven. We say things like build a good nest egg, plan for your future, build into your retirement, and live a good life and hope that when you die, that you have died in a way that hears, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, I may not die. This may be the last week you see me in person on this side of heaven. Jesus could come back today and we have to be ready for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We don't even think about the return of Christ anymore. We're just planning for our death. We prepay funerals. I was at a funeral yesterday and I saw a man come into the lobby while we were waiting on the funeral to start. And he wanted to meet with the funeral home director to prepay for his funeral. He said, who can I talk to about prepaying my funeral? That guy's planning to die in this earth. But I'm telling you, there's a gospel, there's a part of the gospel that says some people will not die. They will meet the Lord in the air when he returns. There's all sorts of theological discussions and writings about the end times and the how and the tribulation and the pre-trib, post-trib, pan-trib, it all pans out. The reign of the Antichrist. Listen, we're not gonna get into that today with my charts and dragons and Russia on the map and who's the Antichrist. I don't care about all that stuff. Jesus is actually pushing them away from trying to figure out the how and the when and pushing them towards the reality that he's coming. You and I don't need to know when. You and I don't need to know the how. Quit watching Fox News and CNN with revelation in your hand going, is this Magog and Magog? And quit worrying about how and when. And you just worry about being ready and getting as many people ready as possible. You worry about getting your kids ready to meet the Lord. You worry about leading your family in repentance. You worry about being ready in your own life. So if Jesus returned or you got hit by a truck on the drive home today, that you are ready to meet the Lord. Do we still talk about this anymore? And I'm telling you, this is nothing to be afraid of. I got saved on Halloween, my senior high school, at a church where they literally tried to scare hell right out of me. If you died tonight, would you go to hell? Yes. Yes, I will. Busted wide open, for sure. Are you ready to meet the Lord? No. Would you like to? Happy Halloween. You know, (laughs) that's not the message I'm trying to preach here. I'm trying to say this is good news for the body of Christ. This is good news for the disciples. This is good news for us that we have a master who's coming for us again. He's not left us here to be alone. He's not leaving us forever. In fact, he says, listen, John 14, he goes, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And look at this. I'm going to prepare a place for you. The disciples would ask, like, why are you going to leave us? Why would you go back to heaven? He goes, I got to go get the place ready for you guys. I got to go get more land up in heaven. I got to go build more mansions, build more rooms, get some mowers for you guys that like straight lines and get some fuel in your gas tanks. He's like, I got to go get your houses ready. Look what he said. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will return for you. Hey, look at me. If this is not true, then we shouldn't believe anything he said. How many of you know if somebody lies about something, they lie about anything? So if this ain't true, then why would we believe anything that Jesus said? On the contrary, then if we do believe Jesus, then we should believe this. And does this light a fire under your life at all? Because I'm telling you, nobody knows when he's coming. It could be today. It could be in another thousand years. Who cares? Are you ready 
for the return of Jesus. Man, the theology of how he's coming and when and what's Russia got to do with it, who cares? Are you ready? Are you ready for the return? Here's what the Bible says. Every right will be wronged. Every sickness will be healed. There's no tears in heaven. Every knee will bow. Maybe you're sitting here or you're listening and you're going, well, I don't even believe in this Jesus fully yet. It don't matter if you believe in him. He gets to do what he wants in spite of your belief. We don't get to create the movement of God because we just believe it into existence. And I'm telling you, everyone is going to believe in Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes it to the church and he said, Every knee in heaven, every knee in earth, every knee in under the earth will bow to the name of Jesus Christ. There will come a day where it is no longer debated. You guys understand, like, like we're living in this tension between the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ. And our job, look what he said, the master wants to find the servant busy for the kingdom, for the master's work. I'm afraid we've either never learned this or we just never think about it anymore. When's the last time you thought about, this could be the last day of my life? When's the last time you thought, Lord, I want every part of this day to belong to you so that you're pleased with me this day, because I may not make it to tomorrow. Man, I'm compelled by what I'm calling the urgency of eternity right now. Whether we die to meet him or he returns to come and get us, I'm driven with a passion to be with God forever. Listen, that passion should start now. You should live today like you're with the Lord now. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Am I preaching to myself up here? Now, I'm not here to be some shaggy-haired, end-times prophet eating locusts in the wilderness here. I'm just trying to tell you, nobody knows when the Lord's going to return. But you can make sure that you're ready for when he does. Only God knows that. So don't worry about when. But it's going to happen. Jesus said there would be certain signs to look for. But he also said there'll be some pain signs, wars, rumors of wars, nations against nations, famines, earthquakes all the time. He also said people be going to weddings and football games and just like spending money and just doing life. It's going to be painful and pleasant. In other words, he's like, it's going to be kind of normal. Don't look for more pain and start calculating. He said, just be ready. It's not to scare you. It's to excite you. We get to be with the Lord forever. Like when my kids know that I'm on my way home, I call usually on the way home and my wife will say, hey, we'll be having dinner in 12 minutes. You know, I kind of push myself to get there a little faster. I get excited about getting there. And, and my kids hopefully are sitting there going, dad's coming, dad's coming, dad's coming, dad's coming. That's what I imagine they're doing. I think they're probably <laughs> arguing with their mom and not doing their homework. There's an excitement about knowing someone's coming that you're excited to see. Hey, are you excited about the return of Jesus? Are you excited about the return of our Lord? He's going to fix it all. He's going to right every wrong. This world is not all there is. This messed up place is not the end of the story for God's people. So then he goes into a parable, and the parable tells us to be ready. I mean, he does all of chapter 24, and then he goes, okay, let me just tell you a story. And he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, if you don't understand context. It seems like a polygamy party, right? Like, why does this groom need a wife and 10 more virgins? That's weird. Um, I just shut down three jokes just now. So a better word instead of virgins is bridesmaids. And the understanding of these bridesmaids is they're the young virgin women of the bride's friend group, right? So that's why they're called the 10 virgins. They're seen to be bridesmaids. The kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps 
and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take any oil with them. Now, in the, in the first century, in the ancient Near East, and still in a lot of places around the world, a lamp is like a, a, it's a clay pot with a wick coming out the end, and the oil is in the reservoir at the bottom. Maybe a torch with a lamp, an oil reservoir on the top. But either way, it's, it's lit by typically an olive, a real fine olive oil that would soak the wick and keep the wick lit for a long period of time. We've replaced lamps with candles, but it's the same kind of technology. But the, the wise ones took the lamp and brought oil. I mean, you know, it's great to have a car. It's really nice to have a car with gas in it. But the foolish took the lamps with no oil. So in the parable, we've got this Jewish wedding. There's a bride, a groom, and there's a wedding party. That includes 10 bridesmaids. And you've got to understand their virginity is because of their relationship to the bride. They're all young. Typical brides were in their mid-teens at this time in their culture. And 10 brides was normal in a wedding for a Jewish family. And they were tasked with waiting and preparing the bride to be received by the groom. And it took a while. The stages of a Jewish wedding, I mean, eloping was not a thing then, right? There was actually a whole courtship process. And, a, and then the first stage would be a, an engagement where the couple was in love with each other and they got parents' blessing and permission. The second stage of a Jewish wedding was actual betrothal, which is a contract. It's a contractual agreement. And now the party begins to be assembled, right? The wedding party, the bridesmaids and those that are uh, serving the groom as well. And so the, uh, between the betrothal and the wedding ceremony, the groom has to leave And sometimes it was 10, 12, 14 months. The groom had to leave to go build a house for him and his wife. Hey, ladies, let me just tell you, if your man wants to take you to from the wedding uh, to his parents' basement, don't marry him yet. (laughs) I'm just saying, get a job, get a home. That that, like offended some of you millennials. You're like, you don't understand our story. I'm just saying. (laughs) Man up and get a house. You know what I'm saying? Okay, anyway. I digress. So the groom would be gone, and his job was to prepare a place. By the way, the parallel, Jesus is gone preparing a place for us. You just saw that in John 14. By the way, Jesus is the groom. We are his bride. Are you hearing this? Jesus says uh, the the kingdom of heaven is like this bridal party. So the the betrothal or the contract, which is where uh, families come into agreement. In fact, Mary and Joseph, the mother of Jesus, they were betrothed to be married. They were in contractual agreement. Goods had been exchanged. There was contract. And the only way to break off a betrothal is a divorce. Then the third stage of the wedding ceremony is the marriage ceremony. And it was typically a year after the betrothal because the groom was working hard to prepare a place. Guys, I'm telling you, make a place for your wife. Make it a place that is a blessing and an honor to her, right? And so then at the coming of the groom, when he's ready, he comes at an unexpected time. And that's part of the excitement is she doesn't know when he's coming. And the bridesmaids are to be ready when he comes to make an avenue for him and the bride to meet together and for their union to take place. So the 10 bridesmaids are actually serving the bride and the, collabor- the, the connection of the union of the bride and groom. And it says that there were 10 bridesmaids took their lamps. Now, the lamps are important if he comes at night. And there's a 50-50 chance he comes in the day, at which case they would need shades or some kind of other things to guard from the light. But to come at night means that they're going to need lamps. So the bridesmaids have these lamps, and half of them had lamps with flasks of oil. Half of them did not. Notice that Jesus differentiates a half and half, just like before he said, one will be in the field, one will be taken up, one will be at the mill, one will be taken away. And he's not trying to make a case for what numbers to expect. He's just kind of giving the point that some will be ready and some will not. And he's dividing them not by their goodness and badness. Hey, hear this. 
He's not dividing them by the saints and sinners. It's the wise and the foolish. Because how many of you know, even among us wise Christians, we sin. We make mistakes. They were, here, here's what you've got to understand about these bridesmaids. They were all together for the whole year. They were all in the waiting together. They all had their lamps. They all believed the groom was coming. They loved the bride. They, they all knew each other. They were serving the bride. They were doing the work of, prepar- of like being around the bride and waiting and believing on the coming of the groom. But the distinction was their readiness for his coming. And the foolish virgins did not have the oil in their lamps. They were not prepared for his coming. Have you ever been unprepared for something you believed in was coming? Have you ever been unprepared for something you knew was going to happen? Like, like I remember going to school every year in college or grad school, you get a syllabus at the beginning of the semester and you go, sweet, I got 14 weeks to do all this work and then get my grades. The end of the semester's coming. And then five weeks later, I go, man, I got nine weeks to do all this work. And then three weeks before the end of the semester, I got three weeks left to do all this work. And then the week of finals, I'm begging the teacher, can I get an extension? Anybody ever done that before? Come on, honest people. And the professor says what? You've known all semester. This was the expectation. The bridesmaids all knew he was coming. Maybe you didn't realize Christmas is coming December 25th. And you get there on the 23rd going, oh, I didn't have any money. You didn't get your reports turned in for work by the deadline given by your boss. The five foolish bridesmaids knew they needed to be ready to help the bride and groom. They knew that he could come at any time. Perhaps they thought, I'll figure it out when it happens. Perhaps they thought, I'll wing it. Or worse, hey, look at me. Perhaps they thought, I'll borrow some of the, they have enough oil for me too. Can I just tell you, this is the way I believe many in the church are today. I pastor a church. I work with you guys all the time. And I'm afraid in my own life, we've all had these temptations or these attitudes. I've got time. I'll get things right with God later. Or God knows my heart. He knows my struggle. Or this is how, you know, this is how I'm wired. I'll get it, if God wants me to get it figured out, he'll come and he'll figure it out for me. Or we say things like, you know, it's my college years. It's time to live it up and sow my wild oats. I'll get serious about this whole God thing later. I've had people say, well, I'm single. I'm young. Of course I'm going to do what I want. My grandparents lived until their 80s. I'll be fine. I've heard people say, let me get my family situated. I'll get serious with the Lord. I'll get involved in church. I'll do all the stuff that you're talking about. Let me get my career kind of going in the right direction. Once I get some money in my bank accounts. We literally had a guy tell one of our pastors, I'll get serious with God once I turn 40. This is one of my least favorite because I hear it. I have to challenge my own kids with this. Well, my dad's a pastor. My mom prays a lot. My grandma's a Christian. My grandfather was a deacon in the Baptist church. We say, I'll give God my life. There's another one. We go, I'll give God my life, but not every part of my life. Like he can have my Sundays. He can have my meal times, my bedtimes. He can have my holidays, but he can't have my addictions, my hobbies, my career. He can't have my mouth. Can't have all my money, especially not 10% of it. They certainly can't have my secrets. All 10 were in the room waiting together. All 10 had lamps. Maybe that's you. You're one of the 10. You're in the building waiting. Maybe you're in the church service. Maybe you're coming with your Bible and your lamp. Right? The Bible says the word of God is a lamp into my feet. You got your lamp. You should never open it to get any oil on you. I'm not talking to anybody besides the first service crowd. 
I just think this particular parable needs to be heard by Christians everywhere. It's not written to lost people. It's written to Christians. In fact, I want to encourage all of you to share the link to this message this week. The time to be prepared is now. Notice what Jesus said in 24. Be ready. Don't wait to be ready. Stay awake. Don't wait to be awakened. Be ready. Stay awake. You never know how much time you have left. Life is here today and gone tomorrow. You cannot live on borrowed faith. You can't borrow the oil of your grandma's faith. Your Christianity, your devotion to God is your responsibility. There is a day that the Lord is returning and he's looking for a oiled up, anointed, passionate, fueled up body of Christ and family to know him. The time to be ready, the time to be alert, the time to be awake in your walk with God is now. So here's the question that's been sobering our team. This week I sat in our room of pastors on Tuesday in sermon prep, and I asked this question to all of us. I said, if Jesus returned today, would you be ready to meet him? Not do you believe he's coming. Not would you want to meet him. Hey, I'm not asking if you want to meet him. I think everybody would want to meet the Lord. Am I right? The question is, are you ready to meet the Lord? Do you stay ready? It's easy to be ready to meet the Lord on a Sunday. Oh, man, this is a good word. i got to pray and get my life right today. But how about Tuesday at 417 in the afternoon? Would you be found busy doing work under the kingdom of God or busy doing work in your own kingdom? Pastor Bo was telling me about our pastor friend in South Africa who has just, like, turned his whole life over to the work of the kingdom. He's like, he ain't got no savings. He ain't got no plan. He ain't got nothing nice. We get so busy in the West, like building nest eggs and 401ks and building for the future generations of our families. And here's the thing. I don't necessarily think those things are bad, but I certainly think they can be a distraction. And we're just one of the 10 in the room. Here's one of our frustrations, the delayed timing, right? Well, he's taken, what, 2,000 years already? But let me tell you something. Just because he hadn't come yet doesn't mean he's not coming. Delayed timing doesn't change the promise of God. Look at what he says. As the bridegroom was delayed, maybe he was building an extra add-on, a three-car garage. I don't know what he was doing. The bridegroom was delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. Hey, church, this is our problem. Can I just speak on behalf of the whole church of Jesus Christ? (laughs) You know what we're busy doing? Fighting over dumb stuff. Getting too political getting too sucked up into cultural stuff and issues and, and making worldly things our, our main things. We get tired of his, hey, he ain't come back yet. We get drowsy and we sleep. We're not awake. We're not alert. We're not ready. While they were waiting, they all, again, all 10, not five of them stayed awake and five of them went to sleep. They all fell asleep. They're all on the team. They're all in the room. They're all recruited to serve. They all have the bride on their heart. They're all waiting on the groom, and they all got tired of waiting and fell asleep. Have you ever fallen asleep in your faith? Have you ever had a season where you're just drowsy on the things of God? Listen, I don't know if you're like this too, but waiting can be a real pain. When I, like in the West especially, we, we live on deadlines and calendars. You ever go to places in the East or Africa, you go, what time are we going to be there? When we get there? I mean, it frustrates a lot of people who are real strict on their timing. But I hate to wait. I hate lines. I like to cut lines. I'm just big and nobody challenges me. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a weakness of mine. I don't really cut lines. I just position myself in a way that I flow into lines (laughs) like a salmon in an upstream river. When a flight's delayed, I get really frustrated. When I'm going to an appointment with a professional 
and I get there on time and I wait in the waiting room for an hour. Anybody else get frustrated to the point where you go, if they don't come in five minutes, I'm leaving. That's what happened here. The bridegroom got delayed and laziness crept in and they fell asleep. I feel this particular verse is a reflection of our church in America. This is tough, but think about it. We've been waiting on his return for 2,000 years, and it's almost like we've been lulled to sleep. We don't even anticipate his coming anymore. We don't live like he's coming. We're busy scrolling through other people's lives. We're too busy fighting over dumb stuff like politics and things that are important, but they're not eternal. We're doing all sorts of good things, building families, saving our nest eggs, living like in the days of Noah, planning for retirement, taking long vacations, living our best Christian life. Those things aren't bad unless that's your life asleep. We give in to sin. Listen, if you're living in unrepentant, habitual sin, you're asleep. If you're trying to live the life you want, the way you want, and trying to force God to believe what you want and go to a church that accepts what you want, you're asleep. That's not the life that Jesus has called us to. Maybe we've got so distracted in the waiting, we're sleeping on the job, we're forgetting the reality that he is returning. We're to be found busy for the kingdom. We're to be found in love. No groom wants to marry a bride that doesn't love him. So why would we be a church that's not fueled with the oil of the spirit of God and passionate for the things of God? Am I living my life like I want to be caught when Jesus returns and him go, well done, I see you loving me. I see you living, I see you passionate for me and devoted to me. Am I really ready for the return of Jesus or am I just living to die one day? I'm convicted about this in my own life and even more for our church and the church in this country and are we really just sleeping on the job? And here's how I just, this is part of why I wrestle with it because I've been asking people over the last couple weeks, hey, when's the last time you thought about the return of Jesus? And most people are like, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, of course, yeah. Are y'all getting anything out of this or am I just preaching to me? I'm convicted about this, man. I'm convicted about it. I just, are we sleeping on the job? Here's the thing. I'm not, I don't want you to get legalistic and try to just be a better Christian. I want you to be a closer Christian. (laughs) Are you hearing the difference there? I'm not asking you to just get your behavior right. I'm asking you to get close to Jesus. He'll handle your behavior. But I'm asking, are you ready for the imminent return of Jesus? Finally, He tells us in this parable to get busy living for the Lord and for his return. Look at what he says in verse 16. At the midnight cry, at the midnight hour, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And look what it says. All 10 bridesmaids went out to meet the bridegroom. All 10 of them. Look, they were all in the waiting. They were all in the room anticipating his coming. And when the bridegroom came, all 10 left the waiting room and went out to meet him but only half of them were actually ready to meet him. What a disappointment after a year or so of waiting to get that to that moment and not be ready. Look, all those virgins, those bridegrooms, rose up and trimmed their lamps. They got their lamps wicks the right length, they light them, and the foolish said, hey, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. That's what many of us are hoping to get to do. And the wise said to the foolish, since there's not going to be enough for us and for you, go to the dealers in town. It's midnight. I think the shops might be closed. And go buy your own oil. So they do. I don't know about you. I'd have been chokeholding one of them wise girls and be like, give me some of that oil. <laughs> I ain't, I'm not all the way saved yet, okay? <laughs> and while they were going to buy, I'm just kidding, but while they were going to buy, 
the groom comes, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came back. They went and bought oil. Hey, hey, Lord, open the door to us. And he opens the door. He goes, hey, I don't know you. It wasn't about goodness or badness. It was about knowing him or not. Who wants to marry a bride who doesn't love him? And that's what the Lord's challenging us with this parable. The word that we need to hear, it's not a threat, it's a reminder. The Lord is the groom who's coming back for us. We now shift from the bridesmaid to the bride. Listen, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? He said it's going to be painful and pleasant. It's going to be both kinds of things. He's been preparing a place for us. I love that he's working really hard to prepare for us. Are we working really hard to be prepared for him? Like, are we just devoting ourselves? Are we going all in with the Lord? Are we, like, are we just making excuses? Hey, you know, church is kind of not a big deal anymore. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You know, I'm just going to watch online. I don't know why you all talk like this in my head, you know. <laughs> I'll give if I've got any leftover. Small groups are weird. I don't know those people. Like, can we just go all in with the things of God and be ready for him to return? And grow in our devotion and our discipleship. What I don't want for you and me is to be in the waiting room to have great church attendance, but no devotion. To have some of the lamps in our lives. I got 17 copies of this thing, but I ain't got no oil in it because it's not gotten inside of me. What I don't want is for us as a church to be a church that's busy being present and not busy being ready. The groom rejects the fools, not the sinners. He rejects the unready, the undisciplined. You can't borrow the passion of your pastor. Well, I go to LifePoint, man. God, he's going to get us in there. <laughs> I'm sure every follower of Jesus here today would say with excitement they want to meet the Lord. I mean, especially in the world we've been living in. I've had so many Christians say, man, I wish God would just come on back and fix it. Well, I got family members that need him, so I'm not ready for that yet. Are you, are you busy helping others get ready too, by the way? How do you end a message like this? Because it's a lot. Man, I just gave you two chapters of Jesus' teaching, right? There's nothing like hearing from Pastor Jesus. I want to challenge you with these four words. Write this down. First is your devotion. We say as a mission of our church, we want to lead people to be fully devoted. That means committed, consecrated, like, like devoted. My heart is there. I love God. And devotion is what you give to God. Devotion is what you give to him. It says, man, I want to live for you. I'm not trying to scare anybody into this. Just believing he exists is not the same as devoting your life to him. Is your personal and private life devoted to Jesus and his care? Is your family life committed? Does your calendar and your checkbook look like I'm devoted to God every part of my life? The second is discipline. If devotion is what you give to God, discipline is what you give to you in order to work towards your devotion. Discipline is saying, I'm going to get up 10 minutes early. I'm going to stay up 20 minutes later. I'm going to spend time in the Word. I'm going to say no to, to this drunkenness and this crazy culture war. I'm going to say no to getting wrapped up in sin and craziness. And I'm going to say yes to holiness and yes to God. I'm going to have a prayer life. I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to give. I'm going to do the disciplines that prepare my heart as a devoted follower of Jesus. I'm gonna serve in my church, not just be a consumer. I'm gonna give, I'll be faithful in attending. I'll be in a small group. I'm gonna do what I can to participate in this family of God that he's building. Devotion's what you give to God and discipline's what you give to you. The third is the word dedication. Man, I want you to think of every part of your life. Have you said to the Lord, you can have this part. You can have, I dedicate this to you. We dedicate babies, everybody takes pictures and thinks it's really smooth. How about we dedicate your calendars? 
How about we dedicate your bank accounts? How about we dedicate our parenting? How about we dedicate what we watch on Netflix? How about we dedicate our social media time? How about we dedicate our relationships with neighbors and say, this relationship is about you coming to know Jesus? Because frankly, we may never get along as neighbors, but we can surely live together in heaven. Are you dedicated to the things that God has dedicated to here? And finally, will you deal with your pain and let God heal? pain. Many of us are struggling with devotion, discipline, and dedication because we're in pain, because we're wounded. We're offended by fathers and mothers and pastors. We got church hurt. We're just mad at the sins of our children and, and the culture that we're living in. Can we just deal and get healed? Man, stop worshiping politics. Stop worshiping our culture and get healed from all that. Forgive your dad. Forgive your mom. Forgive your pastor. Forgive your spouse. Forgive your coworker. Forgive your kids. Forgive your neighbor. Forgive you. And let God heal you. Deal with your pain points and let God heal you. Man, I'm so moved by this text. The return of Jesus is nothing to fear unless you're not a follower of Jesus. This is something to celebrate. The best I know how to do without giving you a list of legalistic terms is to ask you, are you devoted to God? Would you discipline your life in a way that you're preparing yourself, you're staying awake? And I want to be in the word every day. I want to be in prayer every day. I want to be ready for the return of Jesus. I want to be confessing my sin every day. These are disciplines for the follower of Jesus. Dedicate every part of your life to the Lord. Think about that this week. God, what else do you want from me? What else needs to look like you? It doesn't mean you go live in a cave like a hermit. It just means all of you belongs to him. And will you let the Lord heal you, deal with some brokenness? Maybe you need a pastor or a counselor or a small group for that. That's why we have all of this for But I'm telling you, I'm excited that one day the Lord will be coming back for us. And I want, like any one of you, I want to be found faithful and ready for his return. Can I hear a big amen, everybody? Come on, let me pray and I'll hand it off to our campus pastor. As soon as I say amen, they'll take it from here. Lord, we love and honor you and thank you, God, for this word. Thank you for Matthew 24 and 25. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have taught. God, it'll be times of pain and times of pleasure. It'll be times that are normal for the human experience. And in some moment, you will come for us. Lord, you've asked us to be ready, to be awake, to stay awake and to stay ready. So God, I pray that we would not just have a Christian weekend, but we would have a Christian life. That every day, God, we'd read our word and every day we'd spend time with you. We'd grow in our devotion to you. Lord, we'd say no to sin. We'd stop trying to have it our own way, that we'd repent and surrender and live ready for the coming of the Son of God. Lord, we love and honor you and worship you. Everybody pray this with me. Say, God, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sins, that he raised from the dead, that he sits at the right hand of the Father. And I say this, say, I believe he's coming back for me one day. I want to be ready. I want to be awake. I give you my whole life in Jesus' name. Say, forgive me of my sin. I repent of my life. I give it all to you. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Come on, amen. Hey church, our pastoral team is here. I know this is a heavy word. We've handed off to our campus pastors. This is a heavy word right now, isn't it? That's a lot to chew on, right? If you want prayer for any of this, our pastoral team and prayer team will be up here right now. If you want prayer in the lobby, we'll pray with you in the lobby, wherever you want. But don't listen to a message like this and go, that was really good, I learned something today, let's go eat. Like, let this transform you. I'm telling you, I may never see you again on this side of heaven. That's a crazy thought, isn't it? Some of y'all dropped your kids off at Kid Point. He could have come during the service. You may have not seen your kids again until heaven. 
That's why we lead our kids to know God. That's why we want our family and our friends to know Jesus. There is an urgency in the eternity, and it's an awesome, awesome invitation. Let's live for the Lord. I'll see you next week. I love you, church. Peace out, everybody.